welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. Hope you're all doing great and ready for an awesome summer with your families. Katie and I gleaned so much from the last episode, Life Hacks to Maximize Family Impact, with our friends Ben and Mary Kraft. We started implementing ideas they shared with us, and some of the things shared have aligned really well with the planning we've been doing for this summer. So we wanted to take time to cast some vision for what we did to prepare and launch our summer as a family, and we hope some of these ideas and planning tools can be a help to you as you prepare for summer with your families. Okay, so if you know me, you would know there's no way I could carry an episode about planning all on my own. This is where my wife's strengths shine in so many different areas of our family life. I'm your last-minute guy, the anti-planner, you might say, but I know how incredibly valuable planning is, and I'm so thankful to have a wife who is the expert planner. We're a great match in that way. God definitely knew what he was doing by bringing us together. All right, so Katie, can you share some of your thought process of why you like to plan out summer? As I mentioned, you're a natural planner, so that makes sense. But I could see some people thinking, even people who normally plan, no, I just want to rest this summer. I know you also like to rest in the summer. So can you talk about why you opt to plan out the summer too? Fair question. And honestly, you're right that my gut instinct as we come off of the school year is to want to disengage and not plan things for our summer. I'd prefer to gather the books I'd like to read, make my own to-do list and goals and lists of friends I'd like to see, and somewhat check out from the constant schedule and demands that are so prevalent. But then I start to recall the summers in the past when I took this approach, and I remember far too vividly that they quickly devolve into chaos. The house gets so messy, the kids start to expect privileges at every turn. They're annoyed whenever work and not fun is on the calendar, and they begin to whine and argue far too frequently. Rather than enjoying them, I find myself playing whack-a-mole with all kinds of poor attitudes and behavior, and I can't wait for summer to come to an end. On the other hand, I've also had summers where I planned and expected so much from myself and my kids that we either burned out or quit halfway and had similar results by the end. It's easy also to take on so much that we can get overwhelmed. So as I was preparing for this summer, I found myself trying to figure out how I could create a good balance, one that encouraged good discipline and productivity and also allowed for extended rest, rejuvenation, fun, and time spent in meaningful relationships. So the first step I took was to take our big calendars for the summer months and block out all known trips, camps, and other commitments that we have to see what we have left. We let our kids each do a camp, but I scheduled them for the same time so that we're all on the same schedule. The second step we took was to use our goal planning sheets, which you can find under the resource tab on our website if you'd like to see a template. We took time to each dream about what we hoped to accomplish and have time for this summer. The categories we encourage our family members to think through are spiritual, academic, exercise, serving others, work and entrepreneurship, art or music, building a new skill, cooking and baking, hobbies, fun, and miscellaneous. Of course, they don't have to have goals in all of these areas, but it helps them to think about this from different angles. As I looked through everyone's lists and matched them up with the calendar structure we already had, I was trying to think about how to section the summer in essentially two categories. First, those that require work and discipline that result in productivity and accomplishing the to-do list. And second, those that would promote rest, rejuvenation, fun, and building into the relationships. 
My energy tends to be higher in the morning, and I know naturally I'll do one of two things. I'll either start working on something and then just stay task-oriented all day and never get to the second category of rejuvenation, or on the other hand, I'll start with rest and never gain the energy to start being productive later in the day. As I was contemplating this dilemma, I was reminded of the concept of the twice-tolling clock, and this just seemed like the perfect solution for us. Yeah, so this concept of the twice-tolling clock came from a lovely little book we've read called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. So if you haven't read it, it's just really good. There are all these awesome little nuggets in his writing, and it's just a delight to read. The twice-tolling clock is one of those cool little nuggets, and it's had a huge impact on us and how we've cast vision with our kids about how to approach the day, whether during the school year or the summer, and we just get excited at this concept. So I'm going to read a little bit from this book. So this is a conversation between the two main characters. So it starts with the little girl talking. She says, Is now when you will tell me about the twice-tolling clock? And the Count says, Oh yes, precisely. But where to start? Naturally enough, at the beginning. The twice-tolling clock, the Count explained, had been commissioned by his father from the venerable firm of Briguet. Establishing their shop in Paris in 1775, the Briguets were quickly known the world over not only for the precision of their chronometers, that is, the accuracy of their clocks, but for the elaborate means by which their clocks could signal the passage of time. They had clocks that played a few measures of Mozart at the end of the hour. They had clocks that chimed not only at the hour, but at the half and the quarter. They had clocks that displayed the phases of the moon, the progress of the seasons, and the cycle of the tides. But when the Count's father visited their shop in 1882, he posed a very different sort of challenge for the firm a clock that tolled only twice a day. Why would he do so? asked the Count, in anticipation of his young listener's favorite interrogative. Quite simply, the Count's father had believed that while a man should attend closely to life, he should not attend too closely to the clock. A student of both the Stoics and Montaigne, the Count's father believed that our Creator had set aside the morning hours for industry. That is, if a man woke no later than six, engaged in a light repast, and then applied himself without interruption, by the hour of noon he should have accomplished a full day's labor. Thus, in his father's view, the toll of twelve was a moment of reckoning. When the noon bell sounded, the diligent man could take pride in having made good use of the morning and sit down to his lunch with a clear conscience. But when it sounded for the frivolous man, the man who had squandered his morning in bed, or on breakfast with three papers, or on idle chatter in the sitting room, he had no choice but to ask for his lord's forgiveness. In the afternoon, the Count's father believed that a man should take care not to live by the watch in his waistcoat, marking the minutes as if the events of one's life were stations on a railway line. Rather, having been suitably industrious before lunch, he should spend his afternoon in wise liberty. That is, he should walk among the willows, read a timeless text, converse with a friend beneath the pergola, or reflect before the fire, engaging in those endeavors that have no appointed hour and that dictate their own beginnings and ends. And the second chime? The Count's father was of the mind that one should never hear it. If one had lived one's day well in the service of industry, liberty, and the Lord, one should be soundly asleep long before twelve. So the second chime of the twice-tolling clock was most definitely a remonstrance. What are you doing up? It was meant to say. Were you so profligate with your daylight that you must hunt about for things to do in the dark? End quote. How fantastic is that? I love the idea of being reprimanded after noon if you haven't gotten much done before then. So funny. Obviously, if you work at a traditional company, you can't just spend your days in leisure in the afternoon. You need to stay busy. We all understand that. 
But still, this rhythm, I think, is just really solid, encouraging us to go to bed early, to get up early, be productive in the morning, and then in the afternoon, engage in meaningful reflection and life-giving conversation. So this concept really excites me because as a family, we can all focus our more disciplined, productive efforts in the morning, each on our own to-do list. And then we can come together for lunch and do some fun things together and launch into our afternoon to do the more meaningful, restful, and rejuvenating activities that we all look forward to in the summer. This is a helpful rhythm for us because in the morning, we complete many different tasks, chores, organization, any writing or personal projects I have, and the kids can be working on goals they've set for themselves. With everyone working at once, there are a lot fewer interruptions and the tendency towards boredom just isn't an issue while we're in the productive mode. I know that I have a set amount of time that I can accomplish what I need to and that the house will be in order when we're finished. And in the afternoon, we can all feel the freedom to enjoy the hours before us. We read good books, play games, meet with friends, go to the pool, or engage in some of the more enjoyable goals that we've set. It's allowing each of us to have a daily amount of time to recharge and have the free time we've desired so much during the school year. But we can do these things in a neat and orderly home and with the peace of knowing that the to-do list has been accomplished and isn't hanging over our heads. There is so much peace and freedom in that. Yeah, this is great. It's encouraging that you're feeling much more positive as this summer is progressing. I know last summer was so busy and you didn't feel like you got much of a break. So lots of promise for this summer. So I wanted to take a minute to highlight a really important concept that will help to frame why we want to have disciplined mornings. We've probably discussed this before, but it bears lots of repetition because it goes against the norms of our culture. And this is the concept of training our kids to be producers rather than just consumers. During our parenting curriculum, charting a course for your family's future, this is something we hit pretty hard as it is so incredibly important in the life of our kids We must, must, must help our kids be producers and not just consumers. So much in our culture right now is telling our kids to just consume. Think of all the TV shows, video games, apps, treats, experiences. I mean, the list could go on. There's a subtle message in all of this. If you want to be happy, consume this thing or that thing. Well, this is a lie, and we need to help our kids see it for what it is. Consuming things brings momentary pleasure, sure, But the truth is, living a life of excessive consumption is empty and unfulfilling. It feeds the addiction to consume more. It's not only bad for society, it's bad for our kids' hearts. They need to know the deep satisfaction of producing something of value for themselves and for others. The kind of satisfaction that can come only from having labored at something, having sweated out, having struggled, and yet having accomplished something. So here's an example, and this may be small, but I think it's worth thinking about. Scenario A, one morning your nine-year-old plays for hours at a playground while a hired worker comes in to clean the entire house. Everything is vacuumed, the baseboards have been cleaned, furniture is dusted, the bathroom's spotless, then your kid plays video games because the work has been done. Scenario B, your whole family takes an hour to do all this cleaning together. Your nine-year-old, to be sure, hates his part of cleaning the bathroom and vacuuming the upstairs, but eventually he struggles through and finishes. Then he plays in the afternoon. Okay, so we all love a good cleaning by someone else for sure. But think about what happens in your kid's heart. Or better yet, what's not happening. When the work is done by someone else and he just gets to play, what kind of values is he learning? It could be that the main thing he learns is, my job is to play. Well, play is fine, but remember, our job is to raise our kids into adults, not just help them survive childhood. On the other hand, if we force our kids to work hard and produce, what have we instilled? 
Think of the satisfaction he will feel to know that the clean bathroom, he did that, not someone else. That was the work of his hands. Do you think he'll appreciate it more? Do you think he'll be more protective over it staying clean? I think all of us would say we want to teach our kids the value of hard work. But this doesn't just come from saying the words. They need to see it in us and then need to struggle through it themselves. And when they're adults, they will wear this as a badge of honor that they had to work. This is being a producer. Your kid isn't just using a clean bathroom. He's producing a clean bathroom. That is a massive, massive difference. And it's something we can train our kids in over the summer. The other concept that goes hand in hand with this is something I learned from Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family, which is a great little book. And that is recognizing the difference between rest and leisure and the difference between work and toil. Crouch writes, quote, Think of toil as excessive, endless, fruitless labor, the kind that leaves us exhausted with nothing valuable to show for our effort, end quote. I think we all know what this feels like. He also calls leisure, quote, rest that requires others to work on our behalf, end quote. And let's be honest, this normally just fuels laziness in us. So instead of toil and leisure, Crouch encourages us to follow the biblical model of work and rest. Work, like in the example earlier, is something that brings satisfaction and provides value in something worthwhile. I love Tim Keller's definition of good, honest work as, quote, contributing to human flourishing, end quote. That's a great way to think about it. And then true rest, as opposed to leisure, should involve a peace and a calm, something that's life-giving to your soul. And it should actually bring motivation and rejuvenation for the work ahead. This framework of work and rest can also really help us make better choices when we're deciding on which activities we'll spend time doing this summer. And one concept he brought out in this book that I thought was so cool was the Jewish idea of the day starting at evening and then the daylight being the second part of the day. When you think of it this way, our sleep is not to recover from the day's work, but rather the sleep is to prepare for the next day's work. I thought that was a cool way to think about it. So Katie, I know you've been combining ideas of the systems that Ben and Mary cast a vision for in our last episode. Can you share a few of those? Sure. So I've got two charts to help bring order to our morning system. The first is a laminated checklist for each category that I want the kids to work in at the morning. In the left column, I have each day of the week and my name and each of the kids' names listed under each day. And then across the top row, I have the following categories for them to check off. Hygiene. This includes their morning routine, cleaning their room, brushing their teeth, showering, etc. Then Bible, which is their personal morning devotion time. Kitchen chore, a household chore, exercise, an academic goal, creation. This is where they can create something off of their goal list. And other, again, something off of their personal goals list. They don't get to all of these things each day. I tend to meet with them at breakfast and help them to prioritize and choose the most important things and help them map it into that particular day's schedule that's ahead. The other chart I have is done weekly around our commitments, and it involves each of our kitchen and household chores. For the kitchen chore, I rotate who's making breakfast, making lunch, cleaning up from breakfast, cleaning up from lunch, and then emptying the dishwasher so that we each do only one of those things each day. This has been an incredible gift for me not to be making all of the meals. It's allowing me to stay much more productive in my morning hours so I can really finish by lunchtime and enjoy the afternoon with the kids. So I highly recommend this if your kids are old enough. It's such great training and practice for them, and they actually have time to work at it in the summer. It also allows for a lot more variety of meals since everyone has a different idea 
and they can spend time looking through cookbooks and things. This has just been a huge highlight for us this summer. And then I also outline one chore each day for each of us to work at in the house and to try to keep things in order. If we know we have a full day activity one of the days, we'll often double up the day before to stay on track. But I do adjust these from week to week based on what's needed and post a new chart weekly. I'm sure there is a way to just standardize it though if that would make it easier and better for you. Now I do want to give a couple of caveats. We require a lot of our kids, but it has slowly scaled up over many years. This would be incredibly overwhelming for a kid that has never been required to do any of these things before. So as with any of these ideas, we recommend starting simple and small. Pick one or two of these things for the kids to work at or add one or two to what they've already been required to do previously. As you see mastery, you can slowly add one more thing every few weeks, but we do want to be really careful not to exasperate our kids. The other thing to note is that for various reasons that I won't get into here, our summer is particularly long this year, which is why I feel comfortable requiring more because I know they still have a lot of weeks ahead of them. If your summer is short, bear that in mind in what you develop. Remember, if we overdo it, we won't stick with it and it will lead us to burnout, which of course none of us would want. I would encourage you to really take time to pray through this before forming it for your family, asking the Lord to show you what you and your kids each need this summer and the best ways to develop those things into the mix. Yes, let's always remember that none of these things can be a one-size-fits-all approach. And yes, that reminder to pray for wisdom for your specific family is so important. I want to take a minute to share some of the fruit of this in hopes of casting a vision and providing some encouragement for anyone listening who may be wondering if this is really worth the work to get set up and started. It's so cool to see that our kids are accomplishing a lot with this already. And here are a few benefits of this that we've seen. Our house is staying more maintained than usual, although we'll be honest, it is never perfect in our house. Uh, Secondly, our kids are learning new meals to make and enjoying being in the kitchen more. We are all certainly benefiting from this for many reasons. Third, we've had a couple of new entrepreneurial ventures launched. So our 10-year-old daughter launched a business selling sourdough bread and sold 10 loaves her first week. So that was really cool to see. And our 8-year-old daughter started a dog walking business and got a one-time job and a regular job a couple of times a week that she's really excited about as well. So that was awesome. These jobs give them a chance to practice so many things. They took the time to develop their ideas, practice in advance, make flyers, Take them around and speak face-to-face with several adults around our neighborhood, offering the service, and, of course, now working regularly to learn responsibility and eventually perseverance when the new and exciting part wears off. Another thing we've seen is that we get to have that sense of accomplishment and seeing projects completed. We also feel much more freedom to enjoy the restful periods, and it feels more like rest than laziness this way. Also, our kids are becoming more resourceful improving and learning new skills, and there are fewer and fewer expectations for laziness or privileges before the work is complete. And lastly, Katie is accomplishing a lot on her own to-do list, but has also been able to read on her own and play games with the kids, which I know is so life-giving for her. All right, so Katie, we're a couple of weeks into our summer and using this system. What have you observed while working, and what troubleshooting are you needing to do so far? Yeah, so all systems need tweaking, right? One of the things I've noticed is that two of our kids have really latched onto this and love both the productivity and the promise of quality time in the afternoon. They've been driven to exercise more, create a lot of new things, and really enjoy the restful afternoons and chances to play games and have time with friends and other outings. However, one of our kids is really wired for fun and struggles more to be disciplined, and this one has pushed back often in the mornings. 
I found that it's helpful to recast the vision of why we're doing this and the rewards that we can enjoy if we stick with it. I'll point out that if we do chores throughout the week, we don't have to do a lot of chores on Saturdays like we normally would. I'll point out the fun activities we have planned later in the day or week to keep motivation up. I also find that spending time one-on-one and really listening to her has helped to earn some credibility when I do try to motivate action. I also like to have this kid be more involved in picking the rewards and fun that are set for later in the day to improve the buy-in. Lastly, I find that when I praise the hard work that is done, it seems to motivate the next round of responsibilities when they come. But I do think there's also the realization that at certain ages and with certain personalities, this is just going to take more reinforcing involvement and management for some kids than for others. The other challenge I face is that I still have one who is not able to work as independently or capable of quite as many chores because of her age. I try to have her work alongside me or one of the other older kids wherever possible to be an assistant. I also seek out the older kids to read to her or help her with her goals when theirs don't require quite as much time. But again, there is a certain amount of realization that more training and involvement is just necessary the younger they are, and we have to manage our personal expectations accordingly. It may cut into my desired productivity, but that's just part of the job as a mom. And we have found that summer really is an excellent time to train our kids to learn new responsibilities. If we commit to giving it a little time at the beginning of the summer and follow up to make sure the habits take, we will reap incredible benefits over time. I know it feels exhausting, and it is often the last thing I'd like to do at the start of summer. But my encouragement to myself and anyone listening is that if we can push through a little further, we'll experience much more rest over the years ahead. It's worth the investment now. Yes, it's so good to be reminded of the reality that perfection will not be achieved. Our houses will not look perfect. We won't finish everything on our to-do list. Kids will still misbehave and have bad attitudes at times. We all know that. We must remember that we are a group of sinful people all living under one roof. That said, by God's grace, we can reduce this chaos significantly and shift our family's perspectives to be contributors who are eager to serve and love others well, so that the tone of our summer is far more positive, productive, and peaceful. We are praying for your families to be able to tap into this, and that this would be the first of many summers ahead that we can all keep our homes and hearts intact and end it with joy, peace, and restored energy. Well, that's all we have for today. We really hope this casts a vision for your family and provides a few tools for you as you prepare for the summer to be meaningful, fun, and filled with purpose. And equally so, one that doesn't result in behavior breakdown, entitled attitudes, and the development of bad habits. Summer provides incredible opportunities that with a little bit of planning, forethought, communication, and discipline, we can take hold of while still enjoying rest and fun along the way. Check us out on strategicfamilies.com. And again, if this show has been a blessing to you, share it with others and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.